right, if you have a, a copy of the Bible with you, I'd like you to open up to three different uh, passages of Scripture. Uh, two of them are going to be in the same book. We're going to be in John's Gospel. We're going to start in John 1 and verse 1, and then we're going to turn to John 10, and uh, then we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1. John 1, John 10, and Hebrews 1. And we're, we're going to break this up into pieces because um, they're kind of... All together is kind of a long uh, section, and so we're going to take it in chunks. But today we're going to look at the basic truth that Christ is God. Jesus is God. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago, you might remember that whenever I talked about the miracle of Christmas, my contention then, and I still hold to it, uh, was that the biggest, the greatest miracle of all, of all the miracles that happened at Christmas, the greatest miracle, I think, is, is the miracle of the incarnation, that God... The, the God of the universe, the one who spoke and everything came into being, clothed himself in human flesh and dwelt among us. I, I think that's the biggest miracle. And I said back then, uh, one of these days I was just going to focus on the truth that Jesus is God, and that's what I'm going to do today. And um, I, I believe that probably everybody here truly believes that Jesus is God. I mean, if you didn't, why would you be here, right? I mean... Uh, that's that's what we believe in this church, unashamedly so. Uh, but I'm preaching this because you may have somebody that you know, somebody that's in your family, somebody that's in your uh, workplace, or, or maybe just somebody that comes knocking at your door every once in a while that does not believe that way. And my goal is, let's say somebody knocks on your door, my goal is for you not to crawl past the window so they can't see that anybody's inside so you don't have to open the door. My goal is to expose you to the truth so that when you hear something that's not right, you don't just say, I know that's not right, but I don't know why. My goal is that you not only identify that it's not right, but you know why it's a problem. Okay. Now, we're going to look at three different passages, and all three of them make plain that Jesus is God. They're not the only three passages in Scripture that do. They're just three of the plainest. And so, uh, if you found John 1... Please stand with me in honor of God's Word. We're going to pick up in verse 1, and we're just going to read a, a couple of verses. And these should be pretty familiar to you uh, because they're, they're very, uh, very famous, and we read them back around Christmas time too. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. Thank you. you. May be seated. Now, John starts out by talking about the Word, and he tells us some facts about the Word, and I'm not going to spend any time really talking about the significance of uh, the Word that, he, that John uses here, logos, and, and how that's translated as Word, and what he's, uh, uh, just kind of how that's a pregnant term. I talked about that a few weeks ago, so if you didn't catch it or, or maybe have forgotten it, uh, you can listen to it online, or I can get you a, a copy of that message. Uh, but I, what I want you to do is I want you to notice what he says about the Word because he, he later identifies this Word as Jesus Christ. And look at what he says. He says first that the Word is God, and, it's, and, and that's really the, the thrust of verse 1. And it's hard to conceive of a way that he could have made it any plainer. Jesus, the Word, is God. Look at what he says about the Word in, in verse 1. First, he says that he's preexistent. He says, in the beginning... In the beginning, now what's that make you think of? Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. The beginning of what? The beginning of everything. When all this stuff got underway, God was the one who brought it about. He was the one who started this whole process. And what, what John is saying is, there was once a time when all this didn't exist. The only thing that existed was God. So there's something that pre-exists, that exists outside of creation. And that, that one that pre-exists creation is what we call God. Now what does John say? He says, in the beginning, when all this got underway, there was the Word. Jesus existed before everything else. Why? Because He is eternal. He is God. But not only did He exist before everything... Notice that there's also communion and fellowship with the Father. Look at what it says. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. It was with God. Now that little preposition, with, means that there's some distinction within the Godhead, doesn't it? Does anybody like Ray Stevens? I like Ray Stevens, and, and there's this song that he... Uh, that he sings called Sitting Up with the Dead. Maybe you've, maybe you've heard it about Old Uncle Fred, his arthritic and all been up. And, and if you don't know the song, I guess I'm going to kind of tell it to you anyway. Um, and so he's all been up, and they had to uh, chain him down with a logging chain to straighten him out. And, and back then he was out in the country, and they, they set up with the dead in the house because it wasn't right to leave him alone. Well, there's, an old thun- there's a thunderstorm, and the chain snapped, and Uncle Fred just sat right up. And everybody went to run around. It's, it's a pretty good song. But anyway, at the end, he says he's not going to sit up with the dead anymore. He said, ain't no use in sitting up with Uncle Fred anyhow. Uncle Fred's going to sit up with his own self. Now, John is not saying that up in heaven, God's sitting up with his own self. He's saying there's a distinction within the Godhead. He, he's talking about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They're all God. There's one God in three persons. And there's a fellowship, there's a distinction, but there's a unity within the Godhead. So much so that Jesus, the Son, partook of the same glory as the Father did before the, before the creation of the world. Now, if you write in your Bibles, and I would encourage you to do so, you might jot down this, uh, this reference in your, in your margin. John 17.5. John 17.5. Now, that, John 17 is what we call Jesus' high priestly prayer. And what that is is a short time before Jesus was arrested, he prayed for his followers. And he prayed for the disciples. He, he prayed for us too. And here's what he said in John 17:5. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Now, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal, does it? I want you to think about what he just said. He said that he shared the same glory as the Father. So that means, number one, Jesus has always been, there's always been a fellowship within the Godhead. But it also means that Jesus is one with the Father. Now listen again. Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And next to John 17, 5 in, in your margin... You might jot down Isaiah 42, 8. And in that, in that passage, God is speaking. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. 
So what does all this say? God says, I'm not giving my glory to anybody or anything that's not God. Jesus said, I had glory, the same glory as the Father. I shared it with Him. What does that mean? Jesus is one with the Father. He has to be because He shared His glory and, and the Father says, I'm not going to share my glory with anybody that's not God. Jesus is God. And then the plainest declaration of Scripture in John 1, 1, that last phrase, look at what it says. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And look at that last phrase. And the Word was God. How can you say it any plainer? You can't say it any plainer than what he says. The Word was God. Now, there are people out there who say, that's not really what it means. It doesn't really mean he was God. It just says that he was God. Now, to us, this may seem like a, kind of a new idea, right? That Jesus is a God with a little g. He's a mighty God, but not the supreme God. But it's not a new idea. Back in the 300s, so 250, 300 years after the time of Christ, there was a pastor. His name was Arius. And he started to preach that Jesus was not God, that he was a created being and everything else was created by him and so on and so forth. And it began to cause some, some, uh, some ripples throughout Christendom. And so what, what the church as a whole, not his local congregation, but the church as a whole called a council together. And they were going to hash out what is it exactly we as Christians believe about Jesus. And Arius was there. He was the one who was teaching all this. And he began, and this is just one of those little interesting footnotes of, of history, I think. And he was defending his position. He was trying to persuade people to come to his side. Well, there was also another pastor there by the name of St. Nicholas. Now, if, if you're thinking of Christmas time, this is the St. Nicholas that we base some of our traditions of the holidays on, you know, giving of gifts and so on and so forth. He was at that same council. And he was listening to Arius degrade Christ and talk about he's not really God, he's a creative being, so on and so forth. And it was making him matter and matter and matter. Finally, St. Nicholas was so enraged by Arius saying that Jesus was not God, he got up in the council, went to Arius, and some traditions say slapped, most of them say punched him in the face. Not, not what you usually think of with old St. Nick, is it? Now why did he do that? Because he valued the deity of Christ that much. He knew that that was a foundational teaching. Now, today we call this teaching the Arian heresy after Arius who kind of started it. They say that Jesus was a created being. But what does the Bible say? The word was God. Jesus is not a created being. So, so how should we handle people that hold to this view? Who are these people? Well, there are different groups, but probably the most well-known and most numerous are the Jehovah's Witnesses. And I'm not picking on them in particular. I'm just saying that they're the ones that you're probably going to come into contact to believe this. And, and I want to prepare you for, uh, for we're just playing the odds, so to speak. They're probably who you're going to come into contact with that believe this. So what is it that they believe? What is it the people who believe that Jesus is a created being? Where do they get this from? 
Well, one of the big reasons that Jehovah's Witnesses uh, come to the conclusion they do is because they have one of these. It looks like the Bible. It's called New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures. They use this translation exclusively. If you read the King James, NASB, ESV, NIV, any of the other translations, they will think that it's wrong. They only use this. And here's what John 1.1 says in their Bible. In the beginning, the Word was, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Big difference. One letter. Big difference. So, why do they, why do they think this? How, how should we reason with them? Well, even if you were to say that is a valid translation, which it's not, but even if you were to give them that, think through this. There is only one true God. That's something that we, everybody can agree on. If there's more than one God, that's called polytheism, and that's definitely out. There's one true God. If Jesus is a God, that means he's either the true God or who? A false God. There's no middle ground, right? It's either true or false. If he's a false God, then we don't have any business worshiping him. But if he's the true God then we should worship him as such. Now, you might, if you're like me, you think, how did they get he is a God instead of he is God? That's a, that's a grammatical issue in the Greek, and, and I'm not going to bore you with all the details. I'll just kind of give you the summary. There's a Greek syntax thing where if it doesn't have the definite article the, they say you should supply the indefinite article A. And so, because it doesn't say, and the word was the God, they say it should read the word was a God. Okay, see the difference? The, the problem is, number one, that's not a valid translation. The Greek, zero Greek scholars uh, back up that claim. In fact, they've went to two guys who, who say that uh, that's valid. One of them, take my name out of your publications because I do not believe that. The other one that they uh, point to was not a Greek scholar. He was a spiritist, so he's wrapped up in the occult, not who I'm going to listen to for a translation of the Holy Scriptures. But on top of all that, other places in the New Testament have the exact same construction referring to the Father, to Jehovah, but they don't translate it as a God there. They only translate it as a God when it refers to Jesus here. Why do they do that? To back up their preconceived ideas and their theological positions, that in this case are wrong. Jesus is God. Now one last thing, verse 3 tells us, look at what it says. It says, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Jesus is the creator. And notice the wording that he uses, nothing and all. Those are inclusive. Jesus could not have been the first creation because everything was created by him. Okay, let's move on. Uh, turn to John chapter 10, if, um, if you haven't already done so. John chapter 10 and verse 22. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, Jesus didn't claim to be God? You heard somebody say that? He did. And we're getting ready to look at it. And Jesus himself claimed to be God. Now, let's just face it. That fact alone is not sure proof that Jesus is God because a lot of people can claim to be God. In fact, some people do claim to be God. They claim to be Napoleon or whoever else it is. The issue is, those people have a screw loose. Have you ever talked to somebody who's delusional or not in touch with reality? 
they don't look or sound or act like what we have in Scripture about Jesus, uh, what's recorded about him. Those people are loony. They're delusional. So Jesus claimed to be God. He's either loony or he's the Lord. Now, look at what he says, what it says in verse 22. At that time, the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. He answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe me because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. There's a good, good passage on uh, the security of the believer. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Here's the, here's the key verse, verse 30. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, what? Make yourself out to be God. Now listen. The, you say, okay, that's, there's a lot of stuff there. What's, what's going on? Jesus said, I and the Father are one. The Jews took up stones because in the Old Testament... The penalty for blasphemy was stoning to death. So why do they take up stones? Well, we don't have to guess because they say, you being a man, verse 33, have made yourself out to be God. Now see, they didn't believe, but they also didn't misunderstand. Now we don't get this in, in the English, but the Greek is very precise here because the Greek has to have three things to the Greek, person, gender, and number, all their words have a person uh, or gender, masculine or feminine, uh, or neuter nouns or, or words, and number, singular, plural, so on and so forth. Now, when he says, I am my father, he's using masculine nouns. When he says one, he say, he, he's using a neuter noun. And what he's saying is, he's not saying, he is not saying that I and the father are the same person, there's a distinction in the Godhead, the Father and the Son are distinct, but what he's saying is we have the same will, the same, uh, uh, the same desires, we have the same uh, uh, plan, we have the same, and here's the point that he's making, the same essence. I and my Father are both God. He's making a very distinct and plain claim to being God. Adam Clark Will said, If Jesus Christ were not God, could he have said these words without being guilty of blasphemy? And the answer is no. He claimed to be God. Why? Because he is. There's one last text I want you to see, and that's in Hebrews chapter 1. So turn there if you would. Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 1. And again, I know I spent a lot of time on that first passage, but it's such an important passage. Um, I wanted to focus on it, but I want to just highlight a couple things in Hebrews 1. Now, Hebrews is all about the superiority of Christ, how Christ is better than anyone or anything. 
And I want you to see in this passage that the Father calls Jesus God. The Father calls Jesus God. Look at verse 1. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And verses 3 and verses 8 are going to be the, the ones that we focus in on. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he, made, when he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Um, now I want you to look down at verse 5. It says, he's speaking of the Father. It says, for which of the angels did he ever say? And so then the Father speaks, the Father speaks. Look at verse 8. But of the Son, he, who's speaking? Who's speaking? God the Father. But of the Son, he says, your throne, what? O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. Now, as I say, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but just to highlight a couple of, of important points, look at verse 3 again. It says that he is the exact representation of God's nature. Now, the finite created being can never be an exact representation of the infinite creator. It can't happen. But yet Jesus is said to be the exact representation of the infinite creator. You remember what Isaiah 40 says? It says, to whom will you liken God? And the answer is nobody. It says, you know, he, he's the one that, that spread out the heavens. He's the one that holds the mountains in his hands. And, and his rulers, the world's rulers are like grasshoppers and so on and so forth. To whom were you liking God? And the answer is nobody. Jesus is the only one that can represent God sufficiently. Why? Because he is God. And then look at verse 8. But of the Son, he, the Father, says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. You know, if, if God says something, it's true. And God just said, Jesus is God. He specifically said to Jesus, you're God. Say, okay, I'm on board with all that. So? I, I agree with all that, but what, what's the application of it? Well, there, there are some tools in your toolbox, number one, because we should always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. And I would encourage you, instead of, like, if you get a knock on the door and you're able, I would encourage you just to have a conversation with folks. It's a mission field at our doorstep. Sometimes we say, oh, I can't go on the mission field. I can't go on a mission trip. The mission trip comes to us sometimes. And what do we do? We close the door, lock, the, lock it, we turn the lights off and say, kids, be quiet. I don't want anybody to know that I'm here. Ding dong, ding dong. Oh, maybe if we just... Don't answer the door. They'll just leave the literature and leave. Right? Well, listen. And I'm not, I'm not, again, I'm not just focusing on them in particular because uh, everybody that, that's not a Christian needs to know about Jesus. But what I'm saying is it's been said that the average Jehovah's Witness can tie uh, most Christians into a theological knot. What did the Bible say? Jesus is God. Jesus asked Peter, or asked the disciples, who, who do you say that I am? Who do men say that I am? He said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, that's the most important question we can answer. That's the, that's the thing we need to focus on when we visit with these folks. 
And not in an ugly way, not in a mean way, not in like, well, you're wrong, you're going to hell. Ask him. Well, if there's one God and Jesus is a God, he's either the God or he's a false God. So which is it? Plant the seeds. Let God do the let God do the work. But on top of all that, Jesus said that God is looking for people to worship Him in spirit and truth. And that means that He wants us to know Him, and the better that we know Him, the better we can worship Him. Jesus is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. He came to save us from our sins. And the question that we all must ask first is, has he ever done that for me? Has he ever saved me from my sins? And if he's not, you need to be saved today. You need to repent of your sins. So for those of us who are Christians, we need to be always ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. Always. Why don't you stand with me as the musician comes. As you stand, as you bow your heads and close your eyes. With nobody looking around, I just, I just want to ask, do you really believe that Jesus is God? So are you willing to engage with people who have a different idea about things? Sometimes we let the fear of not having an answer keep us from saying anything. God is so powerful, He can take our mistakes. He can take things that we misspeak. He can take it when we say, you know, I don't know, but let me, let me study on this and I, I want to get back in touch with you. He can take those things and somehow use that. But he cannot take silence and use it. Again, Peter said, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you, yet with gentleness and respect. Don't be ugly when you say things. Don't be, don't be mean or rude. Because there's the golden rule which says, treat them like you want to be treated. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that your truth is so plain in Scripture that the main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things. And Lord, we may disagree about secondary issues, but on these, on these concrete foundational truths like the deity of Christ, we can unite and we can stand firm. And we don't have to be scared when we have these conversations because we have the truth of Scripture on our side. God, help us always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. 
God, for the person maybe who's who's been hearing all these messages from the culture that Jesus isn't God, that uh, these different things that we hear, Lord, solidify in their hearts, Jesus is God. God, for uh, folks of, of whatever uh, theological background it is, they don't know you. Maybe they don't have a theological background. Maybe they're Baptists and they don't know you. Lord, we pray for uh, we pray for our country. We pray for the lost, and we ask that you would move on hearts, move in, in this place. If there's somebody here who doesn't know you, and let let people come to faith in you soon. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.